Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Welcome, welcome, welcome to this installment of Rated LGBT Radio, and yes, I am your host, Rob Watson. Welcome. Uh, we are doing kind of a special edition today. Um, if you're listening to this, off in the future, you won't know a difference, but if you're some of our very loyal listeners who listen to us as soon as we release a new podcast, this is your Thanksgiving broadcast for you to listen to. We'll have it all ready for Thanksgiving Day, so as you're sitting around waiting for the turkey, give us a listen, uh, and here we go. Today, we have um, one of our our good friends is uh, online, uh, Sarah Elizabeth Grossman. Uh, Sarah is a new author. Um, she is a well-known activist and has done a lot of great things for the LGBTQ community. Um, but now she is the author of a children's book. And um, it is a great book. It is a beautiful book. It is a wonderful book that every child should have in their personal library, should have in their schools. But I can almost guarantee you that in the dark places of our country that are banning books, this is going to be one that will be on that banned list. Why? Because it is about pride and it is about acceptance and it is about inclusivity. Um, and, you know, in the world of Moms for Liberty, quote, unquote, and Ron DeSantis and all of their ilk, those are bad things because they consider those to be woke as opposed to pitifully asleep. Um, but in any case, we are going to talk to Sarah about her new book um, and what's going on with her um, in terms of the activism that she's involved with and a lot of other good stuff. But first, we're going to go to Brody Levesque. Brody is the editor of the Los Angeles Blade magazine. Um, this is the publication that you should be checking out on a daily basis because it has new and original journalism that is of interest to the LGBT community every single day. Um, it is also the recipient of the Excellence in Journalism Award from GLAAD for this year. So it has got the stamp of approval of <clears throat> the community, if you um, want to go there. Um, um, but in any case, it is top-notch journalism, uh, whether you're gay or not. Um, it is definitely worth your perusal. And with that, here's Brody. Hey, Rob, and good day, good afternoon to all of our listeners around the world. We appreciate you. Thank you for subscribing to our podcast. This week was marked by passage of two significant folks for the LGBTQ uh, community. Rockland Carter, the wife of former President Jimmy Carter, died uh, at their home in Plains, Georgia, on Sunday. Uh, that was in a notification that was sent by the Carter Center in Atlanta. Uh, Mrs. Carter, of course, was married to the president for a record 77 years. Uh, Mrs. Carter is best known for her work on mental health, mental health, mental health awareness, 
destigmatizing mental health treatments, and she was also an ally to our community, uh, as was the president. Uh, Mrs. Carter uh, was 96. Uh, she was put into hospice care uh, by the family last May. Uh, president Carter, uh, who is 99, he just turned 99, uh, released a statement that uh, said, Rosalind was my equal partner in everything I ever accomplished. She gave me wise guidance and encouragement when I needed it. As long as Rosalind was in the world, I always knew someone loved and supported me. Uh, Mrs. Carter leaves behind an incredible legacy, uh, which also includes uh, a rather large, uh, you know, family. She's survived by her kids, Jack, Chip, Jeff, and Amy, 11 grandchildren, and 14 great-grandchildren. Uh, a grandson, unfortunately, passed in 2015. Mrs. Carter once said, and I'm quoting, do what you can do to show you care about others, and you will make our world a better place. Also this week, we lost another strong ally of the LGBTQ community uh, in Tulsa, Bishop Carlton Demetrius Pearson, a longtime LGBTQ ally and a pastor, uh, died at age 70. He passed away also on Sunday in hospice care due to cancer in Tulsa. Uh, the bishop was known for um, a couple of things that really stand out probably the most. So the first thing is that he was one of the first people to come up and say, wait, I, I don't think there is a hell. I don't think that's what Jesus preached. Uh, the Joint College of African-American Pentecostal Bishops and their Congress immediately declared him to be a heretic. And then because he supported our community, yeah, that got them even angrier. Uh, there's a really, really great um, program about him. Uh, if you have Netflix, um, he was the creator of what's called the Gospel of Inclusion. And Come Sunday uh, is uh, on Netflix, and it's a really good biopic uh, of the bishop. Uh, openly queer Reverend Brandon Robertson, who's been a guest of our show several times, who's currently the pastor of Sunnyside Reformed Church in Queens, uh, knew uh, Bishop Pearson uh, and uh, wrote a tribute to him. And one of the things that Reverend uh, Robertson said was, over the last decade, I was honored to call Carlton a friend as I've made my journey towards a more inclusive Christianity. And his encouragement and witness was a continued source of inspiration. Another friend of the show and a personal friend of mine, Bishop Gene Robinson, who is a prominent openly gay theologian from the Episcopal Church, uh, gave me a statement that I put at the blade. Bishop Gene said this, the struggle for LGBTQ rights and acceptance has many heroes and saints who have pushed the church to love and welcome all of God's beloved children. When our history is written, surely Bishop Pearson will be remembered and celebrated for his courageous and prophetic voice for inclusion. And I give thanks for his life and ministry. Um, switching gears, looking at the week that uh, has been passed, it's been kind of one of those, a lot of things in the news uh, of interest to some of our listeners. Uh, in Sherman, Texas, the Texas School Board is now investigating how the trans boy, Max Hightower, who Rob, you wrote about in your op-ed, uh, was stripped of his role uh, in the play Oklahoma. Uh, 
Uh, they have they have since suspended the superintendent's duties overseeing the fine arts department. As you know, there was a huge outcry, not only just by the parents and the children of the Sherman Unified School District, uh, but also by the LGBTQ and the uh, country at large. Uh, people really found that to be an onerous thing. And, of course, then not only did they suspend Max, uh, but then the superintendent also kicked about 20 girls out of their roles simply because they were playing boy roles. It should be noted that the Bearcat Theater at Sherman High School, the drama club in the drama department, is predominantly female. And guess what? Not enough boys. Girls got to do the boys' parts. Boys got to do the girls' parts. And, yeah, that's been going on in theater since its creation a millennia or more ago. However, the Texas Tribune is reporting that uh, the school board is getting serious about the investigation, so they're looking into that. Um, we're also looking at a couple of other things. Um, Lance Preston, who is a friend of our show, is the executive director of the Rainbow Youth Project. Um, there have been a lot of things happening here in California with um, basically very conservative uh, school boards passing uh, anti-trans outing policies, uh, one of which has now been taken into court. There's currently an injunction against it. Uh, that was done by California's Attorney General Rob Bonta. However, the uh, Rainbow Youth Project uh, sent me uh, some updated information just this last week, which we published. As a direct result of these policies by Temecula, Chino, and some of these other school districts, the Youth Project had received 648 crisis calls since these policies uh, were implemented. And some of these calls uh, were, you know, suicide in process type calls where they had to scramble and do referrals. So it, it, there was a direct, again, consequence. You know, the right defines it as parental rights. Of course, the argument becomes, well, whose parent rights, yours or ours, you know, and the kids, of course, unfortunately get shut out in that argument. So we got that um, also this weekend, Chino, even though they can't enforce their trans outing policy, Sonia Shaw and the school board at Chino Unified passed a new policy that basically will ban LGBTQ subjects and books. And we will segue to the good state of Arkansas, where on Monday, Republican Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders appointed an extremely rabid former state senator uh, to the library board, and this guy has vowed to continue to fight to ban books. Right now, the state of Arkansas is under a federal injunction. We don't know whether or not the conservative Sixth, court, uh, Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, or excuse me, Fifth Circuit, uh, let me get my circuit courts right, uh, it's going to upheld that. But in the interim, Governor Sanders has decided that we need to get the gay out of the schools, and so she put this guy in. This guy has got a huge, long track record. Uh, he, I mean, Rob, earlier this month, this guy, his name is Rapper, tweeted against the Democratic Party. And I'm, I'm going to quote this former senator. The Democratic Party is behind the radical LGBTQ insanity, attacking our children through public libraries and activist leaders that are pushing homosexual pornography on minor children. 
Uh, and then, of course, in September, he also did another ex-tweet post where he denounced our movement as devils and demons and the usual tripe. Uh, so that's pretty much how this week has been. Well, okay. So, um, actually, interesting segue to our guest um, who has uh, just written one of those books that those people might term as kids' pornography, um, although it isn't, obviously. Uh, Sarah, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Thank you so much for having me today. Oh, it's a thrill. So, um, what, what what is your viewpoint when you hear these radicals coming after you as potentially being a child pornographer? I mean, it's ridiculous, right? And um, honestly, all I really say about those people is usually the call is coming from inside the house. (laughs) Um, And (laughs) this is a lot of projection. um, And maybe they would like to turn some attention towards the clergy or perhaps their husbands. Yes. Or or maybe even the Speaker (laughs) of the House who who gives his – Porn tracking to his son to um, to monitor for him. So yeah, that had to be one well, of the weirdest things I have ever read. <laughs> I can't get over that. I'm I'm it's like I have two uh, now adult sons. My youngest is turning 21 this week, and that is such an icky, gross concept. I can't even go there. I just I I'm embarrassed for him. I'm embarrassed for his son it's just like it's just weird weird and With, um, uh, yeah. <laughs> without yeah. a doubt <laughs> so uh, let's go back to that moment though that you decided to write a children's book what 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 was going on in your life at that point that all of a sudden the idea was this is my next passion so interestingly enough about um a decade ago maybe even more um, my mom was dating somebody whose mother in Florida would put her schnauzer in a sweater vest and it was 90 degrees out. <laughs> and so I was like, this is such, this is such a silly thing. This schnauzer in a sweater vest, I should write a children's book about it one day. And I guess planted that seed in the back of my own head and fast forward to this past year Um, where I'm seeing books being banned for even the author's name being gay. Like someone's last name was gay and the book was banned. (laughs) And so, um, you know, after working at the Matthew Shepard Foundation, after working with One Colorado, after um, starting and doing work with the Drew Project, I became more and more keen to the fact that these youth need need these lessons earlier and earlier because they're being hammered day in and day out on social media, in the regular media, by these bloodthirsty politicians um, wanting to use queer youth as pawns for political action. And so I wanted to write something that was sweet and kind and not necessarily in your face, but gave children and their parents a jump-off point to talk about intersectionality and diversity and friendship. And this is all through the lens of 
Baxter and his pack of dog friends who are going with their two mommies to the parade. And right there, you know, the fact that they're going to a pride parade, you know, the the religious right and all these people lost their minds over simply seeing a pride flag in Target. They still are. They're attacking some nutcracker that has a little pride thing on it, you know, as, as being a huge violation of Christmas. So are you ready for potential backlash and attack um, for the book? Yeah, I I am. And when I wrote it, I knew that it was a potential that that was going to happen. Um, I see it every day working, having worked in the hate crime and um, LGBT youth advocacy spheres. I see it all the time through my friends who are drag performers who do all ages drag shows. And honestly, if this little bit of joy is going to be my next um, bit of resistance, then I am proud to do so because the people who are battling books, the people who are trying to bring education down 500 rungs, the people who are trying to insert religion and conservative ideals into public schools, they're not going to win. And I think they know that they're not going to win, and that is why they are clawing and screaming and trying to invade our classrooms and our school boards so fervently right now. But that just means that this message is even more valuable and needs to get out there to these kids even quicker than I had initially thought. Yeah, And you obviously have you know, been around for a while. You have many, many friends and associates that are in all kinds of categories within the LGBTQ umbrella, and all of which at one point or other, I can guarantee you this is my most factual statement ever, at one point or another they were all children. And yes. when they were children, there was absolutely a dearth of information, of of things that supported them. What is your message to parents who have sensitive kids, who have kids that are a little bit quiet, to kids that may have things going on that they're not quite understanding? What do you want parents to know, and why do you think this book is important for them? I think similarly to relation with adults, you have to meet your kids where they're at. Um, There's more information out there than ever about neurodivergence, about high sensitivity, about being queer, um, about things that just make us different and special. And um, if parents are noticing, you know, if your child is turning inward a little bit more than usual, if your child is spending a little bit more time alone than usual, ask why. Just, you know, find out. It's it's not that difficult to have a conversation and to show a little bit of empathy and to come at it from a place of caring and understanding versus a place of judgment. Um, I can also talk all of this information up to the fact that I am dating a therapist who is constantly (laughs) telling me how to be more kind and compassionate. And um, I definitely have um, woven these lessons uh, through my book as well. 
So take us through your process of creation of the book. Um, you had the idea, you know, you're, you, know, you had an associate who had a sweater dog in Florida. Um, what took it from there to, uh, to making the beautiful art panels that went into the book and the writing of the story and through all the way to publishing by Halo? How did you, how did you get from A to B? So one day, Rob, there's going to be out in the world the hideous sketches that I made for this book. I cannot draw <laughs> to save my life. And so when the publisher told me that I had to create a storyboard in order to get to the illustrator, that was honestly one of the biggest holdups for the process. Um, <laughs> but I, um, so I had this idea, this cute you know, schnauzer in a sweater vest, as it turns out, I also have a schnauzer mix um, currently, and I have a pink sweater for him and a pink leash, and people are always calling him her and always, um, you know, saying, well, wh- if you've got a boy dog, why does the boy dog wear pink? And I was like, I don't know. He likes pink. I like pink. <laughs> like, what does it matter? <laughs> and so that kind of um, was the, the jump jump-off point for where I decided the story had to go. And so it follows Baxter, who wears pink, to go meet his floppy-eared friends, his pointy-eared friends, his slower dog friends, his younger, faster dog friends, and they learn about each other's differences on the way and embrace them as they all get to enjoy a wonderful day um, of celebration. That's awesome. I, I think it's sort of fascinating around the the color pink. I um, a couple of years ago, uh, when my sons were younger, uh, an editor asked me to look into. There was a group in the UK that was about non-genderizing toys, and he asked me to look into stores in the United States to see what the status of that was. And I've been to stores all sorts of times and walked in, never really paying close attention. And because he asked me to do that, I walked into a local Toys R Us, and I was absolutely appalled at what I had been ignoring, which is they had all the girls' sections that were girls and they were bright pink. And my boys would never go into those sections. They were like, they took that as stay out. The section titles were fashion and cleaning. Those were all the oh, toys that were in the pink section. The blue oh, section, wow. which was for boys, had sports, action figures, all these other things. So I wrote an article called to Toys R Us to tell them to stop genderizing propaganda to my kids. And in researching that article, I found that pink and blue were very arbitrarily picked colors you know, that originally when they were picking those colors for kids, pink was actually the pick, the color they were picking out for boys because it was more vibrant and action and all that. And at some point they switched and it became pink and blue. So there's nothing innate about the color pink in girls. It is Isn't just that the ridiculous? Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's it, it just was it, it was very shocking to me because, you know, I was sort of privileged by raising boys that, you know, they were being opened up to all these different toys, whereas for girls, I, you know, as, as I was 
like feeling for my fellow parents who had who were raising girls going I would not find this acceptable for my child that she's right. being segmented off so tightly how how did that affect you growing up and what are you, what would your message be to because you are going to get feedback on this about the book you know that you are somehow um bastardizing the color pink <laughs> you know what's really funny is as a child I hated the color pink um and my mom was one of those pink moms you know the kind and everything <laughs> in my room was pink my wallpaper was pink the clothes she dressed me in pink the toys she would buy me pink and I went through a phase where I just rejected all things pink and I you know I don't remember what color I was embracing at the moment or at the time but the research that you did is exactly right pink used to be a boy's color until I don't know what is this a King James version of pink (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't I really I don't know when things changed or why it got more intense or why they're trying to you know gender toys and put children in boxes but again this this book and what I continue to hope to push is that be who you are love what color you want to love there is a a complete spectrum of colors to choose from it doesn't have to be just pink for girls blue for boys you can like what you like and I know that there's going to be pushback on that but I think that says a lot more about them than it does about me, about this book, or about the youth who are going to see themselves represented. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I think I, I credit you highly for putting the, it out there and even subtly having that weaved into the children's book because it is, it's an important point that we need to have people move off of. Um, kids are individual, and we need to celebrate their uniqueness. Um, the the picking out of a color is used in a way that is oppressive on all kids, not just LGBTQ kids. But because one of the things that I was finding with the color pink was it was also a signal when they came out with a toy that they wanted to do a girl's version of, they would then put out the exact same toy, but it would be pink. And it meant the girl could use that toy, which is like you, crazy. You see the same thing in adults now with the pink tax on razors. Um, essentially, men's or, men's and women's razors are, you know, essentially the same, but they sell women's razors um, that are usually a two dollar um, extra charge just because they're pink. And because people have been classically conditioned to, women have been classically conditioned towards pink, now capitalism is um, playing a part here and a role in um, essentially earning money off of the genderization of different products. It's, It's ridiculous. No, it is. And, in fact, a few years ago, they uh Beck or one of the pen companies came out with pens for her that were pink and Ellen at the time made fun of it she did a huge thing she probably tanked the whole campaign and the whole product um uh, because it was that big of a deal 
where she just made fun of how ridiculous it was that, you know, that you had pink pens for women. It's just, it's, you know, it, um, and the reason I'm, I'm going on and on about this stuff is because I think this is the core of what the Moms, Moms for Liberty and these people are so afraid of. They are absolutely afraid that you're going to blow the lid off of making kids fit a gender mold, that, that little girls are going to not realize that they can do whatever they want, that they could be whatever they want, and that they're not going to be forced into this wife-mother limited role. Um, and what is that existence how- for these families? not getting to watch their children grow and be able to spread their wings and be whoever they're supposed to be, but rather grow up with shame and grow up with guilt and grow up trying to please their parents to fit into these molds. And that's going to create a whole slew of mental health problems, much, much worse than any issues they would have had had they could have just been themselves from the get. That, absolutely. And I think that is LGBTQ kids have a double-edged sword. On the one hand, and, and we all know and we all work towards preventing this, the persecution and the oppression that comes down on them is painful and deadly in a lot of cases. Um, what it can be is also because we get told that this is the way things are supposed to be. We know inside ourselves it isn't that way, and we question it. It also brings us into a creative mindset where we start looking outside the box on everything, you know, and we start approaching things creatively in all different facets of our life. And so I think that's given a lot of LGBTQ people the way to be more creative and be landmark thinkers and be designers and and really contribute because we we have to go to a world where we're designing it ourselves because we're we've been rejected from the other world. Um, but it, it it's at a huge cost. Um, Absolutely. I, I want to so I want to take you back to your history for you know we know because you've been on the show a couple times and you know, um, you know, a great friend, but um, give us a little bit of your background, especially with what happened at Pulse and what inspired you to to be part of the founding of the Drew Project. Sure. Um, So like many people who have been affected by the Pulse nightclub shooting, June 11th, 2016 was my last normal day. Um, because the next day I found out that I lost one of my best friends from college through Linen in at the Pulse nightclub shooting. And while Drew was alive, he was everybody's best friend. He was such a remarkable human um, and was just the center of every friend group and was the clue who brought people together. Um, and while he was alive, and especially while he was a youth, he was a huge basis for queer youth. And so after losing him, um, my friend Brandon Wolf, uh, who has been on the show as well, as well as our friend Sean Chaudhry, got together with a few of Drew's other friends and said, you know what, we have to keep this memory alive. 
we don't want him to be just number whatever out of 49. We want him to have a legacy, and we want to put forth into the world a little bit of joy that he would be proud of. And so we started the Drew Project, um, and we named it after his online persona. The Drew Project was his screen name. It was his Instagram. It was his live journal, if you're old enough to remember that, or MySpace. Um, and we uh, decided to honor him through the work that he would have otherwise still been doing had he survived the shooting. Um, we send LGBTQ youth to college, grad school, and trade school through scholarships. We now also offer grants towards student loan debt, and we also have published one of the most comprehensive Gay-Straight Alliance guides in the world, which has been downloaded in 15 different countries and I think 47 different states. Um, we also have a second version of that Gay-Straight Alliance guide coming out early 2024, which will be a lot more intersectional regarding race, as well as the non-binary and transgender experiences. Can you tell us more about the intersectionality, especially the non-binary and gender expression or transgender expression? Sure. Um, Because that, I know, is becoming a bigger issue um, and that is a lot of the attack in these schools, more so than even going after kids who are more LGBT or LGB. Sure. Um, so when it comes to intersectionality right now, um, we know that based upon the different lenses through which youth see life, comes from the different um, intersections of self that exist. So that's race, religion, upbringing, um, financial status, um, disability or ability, um, and things of that nature. So when you have these other intersections of life combined with being transgender or gender nonconforming, that makes your life, depending on where you live, and sometimes it doesn't even matter, makes it a little bit more difficult because it's not the usual um, neurotypical or typical lens through which America looks at people. Um, and so through this guide and through the lessons that we're hoping to teach, we're hoping to um, ensure that people are a little bit more educated and a little bit more empathetic towards their um, transgender and gender nonconforming peers. And for um, the intersectionality with race and um, gender and sexuality, um, that is also a unique place that needs support, needs more support, um, because Definitely. you've got kids who, who every space they go in, they're representing something that is potentially under attack. Um, How can a GSA group specifically help be more supportive in that area? I think it's just important to kind of open your eyes and ears and heart to see that other people besides somebody who comes from your exact same purview exists out there. Um, People are different. People come from all kinds of different backgrounds. And the earlier on we learn that, 
the more empathetic we can be towards people's differences. I think that um, in a lot of societies and a lot of communities, it's very homogenous. Um, and a lot of people don't even meet people outside of their specific category or community until they're in college or out in the real world or move to a different city or state. And in some cases, a lot of people never leave. And so how are they supposed to know that other people with different intersections of life exist out there? And so it's our hope to be able to get these guides into the hands of people in Kansas and Kentucky and Florida and rural areas in addition to the big cities that always download it. Um, it's important to teach youth and to teach children empathy through differences. And are you in this guide, not that you should or, or but just kind of random question, for places that are under attack where they're they're in that don't say gay environment, do you address that in the guide on what they should individually do when the powers that be seem to be against them? Yes. Um, we have um, whole sections on protests, on how to um, essentially bring your gay-straight alliance to the next level to be more than a social club. Um, we provide gay straight alliances with grants and materials should they want to do a walkout or protest of their don't say gay laws. Um, and so we're just doing all that we can to help support these kids because I just, I can't imagine, like, I, I can't imagine what, it, what it's like right now to, to just feel so attacked. Um, I was a closeted teenager in 2003, not even allowed to create a gay-straight alliance at my high school. And to see how far come and to see how they're doing such incredible activist work in their communities, it's on us, the queer adults, to be the adults that we needed as children. And I am so more than happy to be uplifting the next, crop of leaders in our community yeah and they're fantastic we've had a lot of them on the show in different ways and it it really is astounding i mean it's like they're uh, you know i couldn't be them you know when i was in high school i, was, I mean in on so many ways i couldn't have even come close right. but it's just um it's it's amazing so i want to pivot to the other side of the coin that not that you weren't concerned about it anyway, but definitely uh, is uh, become a passion for you after Pulse, which is gun violence. Um, what is mm -hmm. happening for you in that area in your activism? Um, so gun violence prevention, we're chugging along. We're doing what we can do. Um, I think one of the biggest problems that America faces today with gun violence is that we are only as strong as our weakest neighboring state um, until there are full federal laws in place that are going to really um, make background checks mandatory without any loopholes. We're kind of in a really, really precarious spot. Um, you know, people can go over from Colorado to Wyoming and get whatever they want and bring it back. Um, and these are we we continue to see mass shootings because of because of 
lackluster laws in certain states. And then even in states like Colorado, where we have some of the strongest laws on the books, we still have counties like El Paso County and Colorado Springs, where the sheriff simply refuses to uphold the law, um, which is the reason that we ended up with the Club Q shooting a year ago this week. Um, And so I am heading to Washington, D.C. in a few weeks to go attend the National Gun Violence Vigil and uh, chat with my senators to see how perhaps we can coalesce and convince other states and other senators that we need um, stronger laws on the books to prevent the future club cues and pulses. Do you see any weakness in the NRA influence? I mean, do you see any ways that that we're going to be able to get around that? Um, they just seem like this monologue of obstruction. They are, but they're getting weaker. They're getting weaker and weaker every day. Their um, base is getting smaller. Their leadership is dysfunctional. And eventually we're going to see um, all of the hard work of those of us who have been doing this work for the past decade or so. Um, we're, we're going to see, um, I think, a change um, as soon as the NRA is finally bitten the dust. <laughs> yeah, no, I absolutely hope so. Um, I understand there's a big event in L.A. in February um, yes, I hope to see both of you there. Um, the Drew Project has our annual Gun Violence is a Drag event in Los Angeles. Um, it is our fifth annual, so it's going to be a big one. Um, this hasn't been announced yet, so everybody here is hearing it first. We are going to be honoring Jonathan Bennett and James Vaughn, as well as hosting it at Mickey's uh, in West Hollywood. And that's going to be oh, on wow. February 10th. So it's going to be a big blowout bash, amazing pri- uh, raffles, incredible performances from RuPaul's Drag Race um, performers and um, a couple other special celebrity pop-ups. So we're, we're very excited. Oh, that sounds so awesome. Yeah, definitely. And I, I know the blade will be there. Absolutely, <laughs> you're going to have full coverage. Sure. Uh, although that's Good. not my department; that's Brody's. But you know, right, right, uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty sure. Um, so also, um, there's one of the things you do for students. I'm really pivoting away from the gun violence. Um, is grants for student debt? How does that work? Yeah, so um, we set aside um, the, it, the, the amount of money that we give away every year simply depends on how much money we raise every year. And so um, the last couple of years, we have set aside at least one, if not two, grants at $5,000 each for student loan debt. And these are grants that are um, set aside for former students who are now doing incredible advocacy work in their specific lanes uh, postgraduate. One other question in terms of a lot of the work with maybe not high school students, but um, with the voting age at 18, um, is there any work across any of these spectrums for kind of starting on the get out the vote and um, getting kids 
geared up for the next election? Yeah, we I mean, we do a lot of work with March for Our Lives and Students Demand Action. And so whenever um, there are ways for us to be able to coalesce or team up with them, we're definitely down on the ground and helping where and how we can. Um, I know that both myself and Brandon Wolf also personally um, work with other organizations to help get the word out to vote every year. Yeah, because no, I just, we need that more now more than ever, and especially with yeah, the big election it, it, coming up. <laughs> I think it's I think it's absolutely crucial for a couple of reasons. One, this generation, thankfully, um, is showing the reverse of a trend where young people just kind of ignore the whole thing. Um, yeah, this generation is shown to to vote more. Um, I'm kind of concerned with a lot of rumblings I've heard recently where there's some short-sightedness of it. It's obviously not across all young people, but there's groups that are looking at Joe Biden and just seeing an old man and not really Mm -hmm. understanding how vital Joe Biden is to all of the issues we've been talking about. um, Right. Yeah. um, I I think the one thing that is important to hammer um, it's not just about Biden. It's about the judges that his team is going to put in place. It's about the cabinet he's going to put in place. It's about the diplomats he's going to put in place. And it's about the policy that he's going to continue pushing to keep us safe. And so I understand the concern. Trust me, I do. Um, <laughs> but at, at, the, at the end of the day, we have to keep pushing forward and not let that pendulum take a take a swing back in the other way. Um, there's just too much on the line. Oh, yeah. No, that's what keeps me up at night. I mean, it's like the yeah. more fascist and dictator-like um, you-know-who sounds, um, mm-hmm. the scarier it is. And quite frankly, the LGBTQ youth and everything we're talking about is their scapegoat. You know, it's like yep. fascism needs scapegoats, and we're it. We are dead yep. center it. And um, so it makes everything you're doing absolutely vital and important um, and probably makes you a target with writing a children's book. That I mean, it, this is a beautiful book. It's gorgeous. It is not radical in any way that any sane per- person would see it as, but in the hands of the monstrous direction of conservative politics right now, they'll try to spin it that way. So it's like a a big, big, big concern. Um, Sarah, before we get too much further, we do need to do house cleaning. How can people buy the book, especially coming up Christmas time? It's a great Christmas gift. What? Yes, it is a great gift. (laughs) So it's available on Amazon, on barnesandnoble.com. It's available in 40,000 indie bookstores around the world currently. And if you want a signed copy from both me and Baxter, you can find me on Instagram and send uh, a message, and I can set you up with that as well. And my Instagram is so Sarah Saw. That is S-O-S-A-R-A-S-A-W. There you go. I'm glad you spelled that out because it's uh, <laughs> that's 
one of the mysteries is figuring out people's handles on social media. Um, I know, no, I know. That's... And there's always going to be an erroneous H put in there at some point, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah. I have people who can't, who misspell and mispronounce Rob, R-O-B. So I can oh, imagine what you have at S-A-R-A. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, 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 you know. <laughs> you, you would think. So, Sarah, what's next? Book-wise, is this a one-shot deal, or or is there a book path and an author path for you? Um, so there are many characters in the book and many stories in my head. Um, and so um, Baxter and I are going to head out on the road um, in early 2024 to do a couple book signing events around the country and see how it goes, and we'll see from there. <laughs> and um, hopefully I have the opportunity and the privilege to put out a second one. Now, you've been involved in some pretty key areas in the LGBTQ experience with um, working with the Matthew Shepard Foundation, Pulse, et cetera, um, fighting for against gun violence, um, you know, everything you're doing. Is there an adult book that you're potentially going to put out? Um, you know, uh, I have a lot of essays that I have written over the last decade that, um, I have kind of been working on. Um, I, ha- I, I have my MFA in creative nonfiction writing from the new school. And so if I am not doing something with that degree, my professors are going to be really, really upset with me. <laughs> um, so, um, on the adult side of things, um, I have a series of essays called Synesthesia. Um, and for those who might not know, Synesthesia is um, different uh, visceral and uh, sensory experiences with colors. And um, I have uh, different color essays that I have written about different time periods and relationships in my life. And so, oh. um, yeah, it's very, very different from Schnauzer in a sweater vest. <laughs> oh yeah, no. I that that would be expected. Whatever adult work you put out is, you know, because there's definitely a handoff there. I mean, I'm sure there's some underlying themes that will carry through. But yeah, um, absolutely. But no, that just sounds fascinating. I mean, it's, uh, it sounds like a fascinating concept. Um, I I love the concept of colors primarily because for me. There is no bad color, just the colors that are, quote, unquote, ugly or bad are because of the combination or the environment that they're presented. There are certain colors that presented in the wrong environment, like like a awful green brown does not look good on a plate of food that you're being served. Exactly. You know, exactly. Like, so it's like time place that I love the fact that colors are basically pure in themselves. And then, you know, we bring in all these other things to judge them outside of that. Yeah, exactly. Um, we apply our own meaning to the different shades we see. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that's very cool. Um, I did want to touch base with you a bit on, the One Pulse Foundation and what happened there. Um, Can you give us a little insight into that? Yeah, so it was actually announced today that uh, the One Pulse Foundation is dissolving. 
Um, it had been after a pretty contentious seven-year run um, where they just they spent a lot of money in a lot of different places that were not necessarily helping them towards their goal of building the museum or memorial, um, which is incredibly disappointing to me because I put my neck out for them a couple of times, um, you know, defending their mission because I truly, desperately and deeply believed that the 49 we lost to the night of June 12, 2016 deserve everything, a memorial, Mm -hmm. a museum, scholarships in their names, et cetera, et cetera. And um, it's just, it's very disappointing to see that at the end of the day, um, the owners of the property didn't really stand by their initial uh, promise to allow the foundation to have the property. And so now the city of Orlando has taken over and hopefully they're going to turn that spot into something beautiful that we can go and remember and reflect. Um, mm. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm deeply disappointed because there are a lot of people out there who not only trusted and believed in them, but were really going to bat for them and really putting their voices and selves on the line in hopes that this was really going to happen. And the fact that it just didn't and is ending in such a, such a sad and disappointing way um, is, yeah, it's it's disappointing. Um, and now it, I, I really, I think that the Drew Project is the only organization that has come out of Pulse that is mm-hmm. still standing today. Do you, are you going to try to reach out to the city and see if you can't have an influence or be part of whatever they come up with? Yeah, um, I think that it's my hope at least that they're going to put out some kind of survey to see, you know, what the community wants before going uh, headfirst into whatever they're going to build. But um, I'm in touch with some people um, who are, you know, um, we're stakeholders and we're part of the community there. And in whatever way I can help, um, everything that I do is in service of remembering Drew and in service of that never happening, happening again and supporting the communities that have been so hurt and affected by it. So um, all that we can do is keep our heads up high and continue doing the good work because Drew and the victims of the shooting and the survivors have always been our North Star for the Drew Project. And we have always um, tried our best to honor them through um, good and honest work. And you have, and I'm sure Drew would be very proud of everything you've done. Um, oh, thank and, you. And is with you, you currently. So um, normally at this point in the show, because we only have the last few minutes, I ask if I haven't asked anything, but this time, um, I hope I did. Uh, <laughs> and instead, because given the day that we're about to approach upon, I'm going to ask you, Sarah, what are you going to be grateful for tomorrow? Uh, tomorrow on Thanksgiving, I'm going to be grateful for my partner, my friends, my family, all of the people in my life who continue to support me on this wild ride, <laughs> um, being an advocate and um, a creative person. Um, it's it's the micro things that I'm choosing to look at rather than the macro because 
the world is a scary place right now. Um, there's a lot happening that uh, if you're paying attention can turn your heart cold. But on days like Thanksgiving and around the holidays, I think it's important to be a little extra grateful and uh, show a little extra gratitude to those who have helped us on our journeys. I think that's true. And we want to thank you, number one, for being you and everything you do. Uh-huh. Thank you for this beautiful book. And um, for those of people listening, go buy it. Great Christmas present. Great present anytime. Um, the young people in your life deserve this book. So go for it. And um, also, Sarah, thank you very much for coming on today and being our Thanksgiving oh, guest. Um, yes, it is my pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh, our, our, our the pleasure is ours. And also <laughs> I'm grateful for the Los Angeles Blade magazine, which you should be reading every single – not just you, Sarah, but everybody listening. So, um, <laughs> Me and everybody you, you, else. There you go. You can read it, too. Uh, it can be found at the LosAngelesBlade.com. It is edited by none other than Brody Levesque, and he puts up new articles every single day, uniquely written for the Blade, award-winning publication. It is absolutely a go-to to find out what is going on in the world that affects the LGBTQ community. Um, for those of us that rated LGBT radio, we will be, hey, we're here on Thanksgiving. You don't think we're going to be back next week? We certainly will be. We do not miss you whenever possible. Um, but we will be back next week with a really exciting show, and you're just going to have to tune in to find out what it is then. So for those of us, have a happy Thanksgiving, and um, hug, hug your loved ones, and see us next week. We'll talk to you then. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio. 